a Radio 191 FM podcast. Earlier today, we caught up with Auckland Central MP and Green Party member Chloe Swarbrick to discuss the relationship between local and central government in the run-up to the Dunedin local elections taking place on the 8th of October. Chloe discussed the importance of local governments, their role, and what their future alongside central governments looks like. Kia ora, Chloe. Kia ora. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. You got your start in politics through local body elections, so you have a lot of experience of the relationship between local and central governments from both sides. How would increasing local political engagement support central and local level change? It would change everything, honestly. Uh, I don't think that there is enough recognition uh, across the whole country, let alone in many of our towns and cities, of the power of local government. Uh, In Auckland in particular, in 2016, when this random 22-year-old decided to leave VFM and run for the Auckland Party, that was me, uh, I decided to do so off the back of um, actually the closure of one of my favourite music venues, which uh, was a perfect example of how we don't prioritise certain types of heritage or creativity or creative spaces Uh, and it was a small to medium sized venue called called the King's Arms which was kind of critical at a point in our city's history for creating spaces for young local musicians to get a foot in the door, build an audience, take risks and all those things that are necessary to build a sustainable career um, in the music industry. And I just, you know, saw that as our built environment changing and those opportunities disappearing and trying to map that to all of the bright spots of really freaking awesome people uh, who were all around the city who I was watching at that point in time. I know we're freaking out now in 2022 about people leaving overseas and taking all their talent with them, but we were having the same conversations about the brain drain back then. And I found it really cooked how mapped to that was these local body candidates who were talking solely about rates And they were talking about rates through the lens of something that only uh, people who own property pay, which is just totally untrue. If you pay rent, you pay rates. Your landlord's not getting that money from nowhere. (laughs) Uh, And they weren't really keen to talk about what we do with those rates or why people would live in the city or um, all of the powers that local government has. You know, like when you turn on your tap, when you walk down your street, when you get on a bus, all of those things are things that are determined by local government. Same, same with the quality of nightlife in your area, the cafes and bars and the other cultural spaces. Um, So I think, you know, even right now uh, as a local MP, the biggest and the best outcomes that we get are actually working directly with Auckland Council because they can move a lot quicker uh, to do things that take central government years and a million reviews and then a whole lot of political argy-bargy to try and get through. Do you think more emphasis should be placed on regional council elections as they are as the regional councils are responsible for some pretty key infrastructure and those elections can often be overlooked? Yeah, 100%. I mean, if you look at uh, the general election turnout, it's usually around 75%, whereas for our local body election turnout, it is... If you amalgamate across the country, it's around 41%, but in places like Auckland, it's more like 34%. Uh, And I think a large reason for that is how uh, our mainstream media has been, you know, syndicated and whittled down to no longer really having those local interest reporters uh, who are reporting on democracy and the stuff that's happening in our built environments, unless it's in some of our major cities. Like, I found it mind-blowing that, for example, our petition to pedestrianise Queen Street got national coverage, um, which was obviously awesome for the work that we were doing on the ground in Auckland, but you don't see those same kind of debates at a really local level reaching the way up to 
the national stage or even getting on the front page of most of our syndicated papers across the country when they're impacting people unless they're things you know that are kind of life or death around water quality and and those kinds of things so um yeah, I think that uh, were we to realise the power of local government, then we could make far more effective and quick change in our communities. And yeah, that that is the power of local government, and that's why I'm such a simp for it. <laughs> <laughs> in 2016, you spoke to Local Government magazine, explaining the biggest issue facing the local government sector over the next five years would be proactively adapting to and planning for the changing world. Mm. You described lack of long-term thinking and future-proofing put the sector at risk of becoming redundant. You hoped future local government would have more autonomy and freedom to plan the future of their cities. How do you believe the relationship between local and central government has progressed since 2016? It hasn't been good, eh? Um, I mean, there's so many things that have impacted local government that have occurred. There's uh, obviously uh, a range of Pandora's boxes that we could open here from uh, Three Waters to the DHB uh, health reforms uh, through to in the last term of parliament, we had another review of a review called the Shand Inquiry, which was about 10 years uh, old. And the outcome of that was the same thing that we've known for 10 plus years, which is that local government doesn't have the adequate uh, resources to do the things that it needs to do, let alone that it's charged to do under the Local Government Act. You know, if you look across the world, the average amount of spending that occurs on a ratio of local and central government uh, is around 30% at a local government level. In Aotearoa, it's less than half of that at around 12 or 14%. So, you know, from the get-go, we've seen uh, this kind of cultural norm uh, in parliament, uh, and this is 10 plus years, where local government is consistently blamed for things but not given the resources to resolve those problems. And I think as you see that occurring, um, that kind of cultural norm becoming more and more concrete, alongside uh, the media uh, becoming more and more amalgamated, that you have less coverage of local issues and therefore understandably less public and community awareness of where potential responsibility for resolving problems you know, comes from. And you also lose the ability to empower people to create their own solutions in a local context to solve those problems because we end up focusing solely on central government. And I think... Again, that's an indictment on a lack of kind of civics education, uh, but also hopefully a kind of call to action for those who are operating in our media, which, you know, there's a whole other can of whims we could open there around the hollow middle and a lack of resourcing and how, um, you know, for example, something which is focused on cracks in the sidewalk or um, storm or wastewater might not get the same amount of clicks as, you know, something controversial, whatever given politician has said. But it's the really important stuff. In the same interview, you described the current working relationship between local and central governments as tense. Do you still believe that? I think, uh, so we're currently seeing another local government review underway, uh, and what I'm really worried about, having you know been in Parliament now for five years, uh, we are seeing review after review after inquiry, uh, kind of with all of these recommendations that could potentially be transformative, left to languish. Uh, and while I'm sure there will be somewhat transformational recommendations, potentially constitutional, because one of the things that really uh, boggles my mind about local government is that uh, it's not kind of uh, you know deeply entrenched constitutionally, given that we don't have a Supreme Codified Constitution in this country, that local government exists by virtue of parliamentary statute, which means that it's uh, remit and it's resourcing and everything else can change at the drop of the hat with a simple parliamentary majority. 
uh, and I think that local government is deserving of of its own uh, status to that effect. And I think were it to have that status, then hopefully we would end up with all the more engagement at a local level. But yeah, I just I don't think that the power of local government is uh, adequately understood across the country, and I don't think that that's any one person's individual fault. Uh, it is it is a big time <coughs> systemic issue. Now, over the last decade, we've seen a series of new local government relationships between council bodies and tangata whenua, places such as Rotorua and Otipoti come to mind. Mm. Uh, but these often these relationships can often be arranged on the sheer goodwill of said council rather than any specific legislation. And critics of these uh, new local government and Māori relations say these that relationships don't suffice in terms of delivering on Treaty of Waitangi promises. Do you agree with these sentiments? And how would you like to see local government better uphold their responsibilities as treaty partners? So as a, a small park from central Auckland, <laughs> my hot take on this. Um, so the Greens' position uh, is that Te Tiritu Waitangi is not something to be settled, it's something to be honoured, and uh, that's something which you'll see reflected in all of our treaty settlement speeches, is that uh, if we are treating this kind of constitutional and, you know, there's um, rightful debates around whether it's kind of founding given, um, you know, the Declaration of Independence five years earlier and otherwise... Uh, I think that uh, when we're talking about things like co-governance, actually, Tangata uh, Whenua preemptively, uh, that is a compromise. Um, co-governance is a compromise based on you know sovereignty. <laughs> so um, what we are trying to do is figuring out how to retrofit, uh, you know, this. Uh, recognition of Titiriti inside of what is effectively a colonial Western framework of the world and how democracy is supposed to operate. And that is worlds apart from the likes of what was envisioned in Matiki Mai um, and other amazing um, kind of constitutional thoughts and contributions from the likes of um, Moana Jackson and other incredible Māori academics who have done huge public service and um, yeah, and envisioning what, what, what our our future of democracy and our future of governance in this country could look like. But I totally pay heed to exactly that point that you raise about how, you know, interestingly, uh, most of the development on uh, relationships with iwi and hapu across this country have largely come from local government and from the discretion of, uh, you know, some really good people in some really good places. And funnily enough, that's actually, I think, the way that things kind of should be, is that if we're looking at the future of what governance in this country looks like, again, I'm agreeing and localism is my jam and I'm a sim for local government. So how do we devolve that power? And therefore, how do we have those far more localised relationships? Uh, And in turn, when people see that action happening on the ground, they are all the more likely to get engaged and therefore to feel represented by what's occurring. So I think, yeah, moving away from it from a highly centralised model is a good thing. Um, But I also think that um, it's really important that we bear in mind that, uh, again, co-governance is one potential manifestation of what it might look like to honour te tiriti o waitangi. That's going to look different in different places and that is always going to come down to relationships with mana whenua um, in different places across Aotearoa. How would you like to see the relationship between local and central government evolve further over the next five years? I'd like to see um, quite... Uh, quite marked transformation um, in it. I think that uh, central government has treated local government as uh, at best a little brother and at worst a wimble from politics in the first place. I just want constitutional transformation. I want the status of local government cemented and 
heightened uh, and local government resourced adequately. I'd also like to see changes to uh, the way that voting on local government works, which currently I think, you know, I, I don't think it's the be all and end all of it, and it definitely won't be a silver bullet for um, solving lower voter uh, turnout. But the postal voting ballot uh, is a barrier. It's a massive barrier to, to people voting. Um, it also is, uh, I think, really anti-democratic that if you own property in multiple areas across this country, you get to vote in multiple elections. I think it's insane that more people don't know about that and that we're not having an immediate change of, of those rules. So, yeah, how would I like to see the relationship between local and central government change? I'd like to see power sharing, real power sharing, uh, and real power sharing doesn't just mean giving local government more responsibility, it means giving them more resources. That was a Radio 1 91 FM podcast. You can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found.